Verse 34, that's where we're going to start. We're getting near the end of this chapter. For you had compassion of me and my bonds, and took joyfully the spoiling of your goods, knowing in yourselves that you have in heaven a better and an enduring substance. Cast not away, therefore, your confidence, which hath great recompense of reward. For you have need of patience, that after you have done the will of God, you might receive the promise. For yet a little while, and he that shall come will come, and will not tarry. Now the just shall live by faith. But if any man draw back, my soul shall have no pleasure in him. For we are not of them that draw back unto perdition, but of them that believe to the saving of the soul. There is so much in this. When Paul talks about them having compassion of him in his bonds, he said they spoiled their goods. You know, spoiling is what you do when you conquer somebody. Okay? Soldiers come in, they conquer the village or they conquer the town or whatever, and then they just go in and take everything they want. Okay? The uh, movie Monuments Men, I haven't seen it, I read the book. But that's what the Germans did. They went in and took everything of value from the nations that they conquered in Europe and took them and buried them in salt mines and, and uh, underground and, I mean, just hid the stuff. The magnificent masterpieces of, of art and sculpture and all that. Mountains of gold. <laughs> Literally mounds and mounds of, of, of gold. They spoil them. And Paul says, or the writer of Hebrews, I assume it's Paul. If it's not, y'all can correct me when I get to heaven. <coughs> so I'll know for sure then. But, uh, but Paul says they joyfully spoiled their goods. I mean, they went home and just got whatever they could. Not just stuff they could spare. Whatever they thought the writer of Hebrews might need. And they brought it and sent it to him. Which simply indicates that they knew that everything they owned belonged to God and they could hold it in an open hand. Because whatever you take out to give for God's glory, He puts more in. You keep it like this, He can't get anything else in. So we hold God's stuff in an open hand and He holds us in an open hand. So he can take us out wherever he wants to? Oh, he's always been able to take you out whenever he wanted to. Okay? But no, he holds you in an open hand because his hand is so big. He spans the universe between here and here. So far, we've measured 168 billion light years, and we still haven't seen the edge of the universe yet. That's just as far as our telescopes can see. Incredible. You're in the palm of his hand. John chapter 10, Jesus said, you're in my hand. And my Father, which is greater than all, nobody can pluck you out of his hand. Well, Paul said, you spoiled your good, knowing in yourselves that you have in heaven a better and an enduring substance. And that's what I've been preaching for the last three years. Okay? You can't take it with you, but you can send it ahead. 
You don't lay up treasures on earth where moth and rust doth corrupt and where thieves break through and steal. No, you lay up treasures in heaven. Why? Because your heart's going to follow your treasure. Lay up treasures in heaven where moth and rust do not corrupt and where thieves do not break through and steal. And just watch God bless. This morning, Sunday school, we were talking about and uh, mentioned the fact that in, in uh, I don't remember if it's Haggai or Malachi, they both pretty much say the same thing. But, uh, but God says that uh, uh, the people who don't tithe, people who rob from him, they, they put their wages in a bag with a hole in the bottom. Okay, do you know what happens when you put money in a bag with a hole in the bottom? <laughs> yeah, it all leaks out. And, uh, and, and so uh, we discussed the fact that the reason some people can't afford to tithe might be because they don't tithe. Okay? If people don't tithe because they can't afford it, maybe they can't afford it because they don't tithe. Because God can stretch 90%. You can stretch. No, you can't. We can't even stretch 100%, can we? I mean, when the money's gone, the money's gone. But God comes along and rebukes the devourer on our behalf so that uh, the car doesn't break down. Or this doesn't happen, or this doesn't happen, or this doesn't happen. And he just takes care of all that. Paul says, if you had compassion of me and my bonds and took joyfully the spoiling of your goods, knowing in yourselves that you have in heaven a better and an enduring substance. So, cast not away therefore your confidence, which hath great recompense of reward. Do you have confidence in God? Turn with me to 1 John chapter 5. 1 John chapter 5. In the Bible I'm using tonight, 1 John chapter 5 is easy to find. The one that comes out when you open it. Okay? Beginning verse 13. 1 John 5, 13. These things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life, and that you may believe on the name of the Son of God. Okay? If you know you have eternal life, then you have even more reason to believe in Jesus. Because he's not just your savior, he's your sustainer, he's your provider, he's your healer. I, I mean, whatever you need, Jesus is it. That's why we call him Jehovah. I am. I am. In the Old Testament, they kept putting words behind it. I am the banner, meaning he's victorious. I am the provider, Jehovah Nisi. I am the God who sees you wherever you are. Verse 13, verse 14. This is the confidence that we have in him. That if we ask anything according to his will, he heareth us. And if we know that he hears us whatsoever we ask, we know that we have the petitions that we desired of him. That's pretty good confidence. We know what God's will is in the matter, and we pray, ask anything according to His will. 
He hears us. In fact, Psalm 116 verse 2 says, He inclines His ear unto me. When I was younger, that didn't mean anything to me. But now that I'm old, when little children speak to me, I have to incline my ear. I have to get down on their level. Or I can't hear them. I've lost hearing in the upper ranges. But God never loses anything. He hears perfectly. But when His children begin to pray and ask things in His will, He bends down to listen. So, next time you're praying, just picture that. God on His throne... All the other cacophony of the universe going on. The stars singing His praise and the birds singing His praise and and people in church praising Him. And you start praying and He bends down to listen. Is that cool or what? Whoa, if that doesn't make you special, then you must be special. Okay? Okay? Because that means, makes me feel very special. The only people who wouldn't understand that are people who were in the special class at school. If you have any understanding at all, you're going to feel special because God knows you. And He bends down to listen to you. And while He's at it, He checks to make sure you still all have all the hairs on your head that you had a while ago when He was looking. He's God. And He likes you. And he loves you, and he loves you, and he loves you, and loves you, and loves you. So cast not away, therefore, your confidence, which hath great recompense of reward. We're back in Hebrews chapter 11, verse, chapter 10, verse 35. What is a recompense of reward? Well, take the R-E off the front of it and look at the word. Compense. Does that remind you of Compensation. Same root. Great compensation. Recompense means it is given to you. Okay? You have great recompense of reward. He just he does it and then he does it again. And then he does it again. And then he does it again. He just keeps pouring it out there. That's why Ron used to say he wanted to live under the spout where the blessings pour out. Get under there. The psalmist said, open your mouth wide and he will fill it. God is so amazing. But you have need of patience. Oh yeah, I knew there was going to be a if in there somewhere. Cast not away your confidence, therefore your confidence, which has great recompense and reward, for you have need of patience. That, after you have done the will of God, you might receive the promise. Wait a minute. Why would we need patience to receive the promise? Because that's what faith is all about. You know what the Old Testament says about Abraham? You know what the book of Galatians says about Abraham? It says, Abraham believed God and it was counted to him for righteousness. Abraham believed God. When Abraham 75 years old, God comes to him and he says, Abraham... I have given you this land, I mean, as far as you can see, from the Euphrates to the Nile, from the Mediterranean to the way out there, Saudi Arabia, okay? Giving it all to you and to your descendants, 
And Abraham says, but God, I don't have a son. I don't have an heir. And God said, I'm going to give you one. Eliezer, your servant, your, your head steward, he's not going to inherit all your stuff. That often happened when a man died without an heir. The head steward got it. God said, he's not going to be your heir, no. I made you a promise, and I'm going to keep it. Abraham turned 76. His wife turned 66. No kids. He turned 80. His wife turned 70. No kids. He turned 85. 90. 95. No kids. And when he's 95, his wife's 85. Okay? And she's going to bear him a child? Oh, yeah. Abraham believed God. And after he received the promise, he had patience. And when he's 99, three guys come walking up to their oasis at Beersheba. Got this really cool well there. The uh, Israelis say that it's Abraham's well. It's been there since the time of Abraham. And I don't know that that's not true. I hadn't been around since the time of Abraham. Okay? But you can go to Abraham's well. Still got water in it. And they come to Abraham. And as they approach, Abraham turns to one of the servants. And he said, go kill the fatty calf. Or go, go, go kill the kid. And have Sarah fix supper. And he goes out to meet them. And he says, hey, guys, come sit down in the shade. Let me get you something to eat and drink. The law of hospitality. And one of those three guys was Jesus Christ himself. Whoa. And Jesus said, Hey, Abraham. I like the fact that you're faithful. I like the fact that uh, you're going to lead your family right. And about this time next year, your wife, Sarah, yeah, the 89-year-old, is going to bear you a son. And Sarah's inside the tent. You know what she said? <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah, me. Don't you know how stunned she was when she found out she was pregnant? <laughs> Picture that. Oh, wow. Abraham wasn't surprised at all. God told him it was going to happen. He had patience. And he had done the will of God. And we need to have patience after we've done the will of God that we might receive the promise. Okay, you know what promise I'm looking forward to? I talked about four different promises in the Word of God this morning. This is one that I didn't talk about, okay? The promise I'm looking forward to is found in John chapter 14, verse 4. It says, If I go away and prepare a place for you... I will come again and receive you unto myself. I think it's verse 3. I will come, come again and receive you unto myself. That where I am, there you may be also. Okay? I have heard that since I was about 19, 20 months old. And now I'm old. 63. Would have been 64, but I was sick one year. And so, here's God 
saying that Jesus is coming back, and it hadn't happened in the last 1,900 years. All we have is the promise. And you know what? I think He might come back tonight. If not tonight, this year. You say, well, what if He doesn't come back this year? Then I'm going to look for Him next year. Okay? I looked for Him yesterday and He didn't come. So maybe today, maybe tomorrow. Well, that'd be cool. I wouldn't mind Him coming on July the 4th. That'd be my Independence Day. Because I'm a dependent Christian. He says that. He says in verse 37, For yet a little while, and he that shall come, will come. Let me read that again. You need to get this. For yet a little while, and he that shall come, will come. And then I like the last phrase of that verse, the last four words. Because people say, well, if the Lord tarries, and will not tarry. So don't be counting on God to tarry uh, when, when He gets ready to come. When He gets ready to see us, He's going to tell Jesus, Go get your bride. Go get my children. Jesus stands up from beside the right hand of the throne of God, looks at the archangel and says, Hey, let them know I'm coming. God reaches over and picks up His trumpet, His ram's horn. And at the sound of the trumpet and the voice of the archangel saying, Hey, he's coming. Or like he says in Revelation chapter 4, Come up hither. I'm out of here. Okay? God's not going to say, Boy, maybe we better wait a day. Maybe we better wait another week. No. He that shall come will come and will not tarry. And so, how do we respond to that? How do we as believers deal with that? It's found in verse 38. Now the just shall live by faith. The just shall live by faith. We just do what God says. And watch for His coming. The just shall live by faith. If any man draw back, my soul hath no pleasure in him. To draw back from what? Draw back from faith. Oh yeah, I know God said that, but I really don't think it's going to happen. What? What? Let me repeat that. I know God said it. But I really don't think he meant it. That's the way a lot of people treat the Bible. They know what the Bible says. They know what he says about drinking and defiling the body and dishonoring the parents and stealing and murdering and coveting. And They know what the Bible has to say. They know what the Ten Commandments are. They just think they're Ten Suggestions. And they're not. No. It's the Word of God. But they draw back. The writer of Hebrews says, My soul hath no pleasure with them. No. 
Just live by faith. Trust God and do what He says to do. Here's the old saying. God said it. I believe it. That settles it. You know how wrong that is? God said it. That settles it. It doesn't matter if I believe it or not. It's settled. The only person who is affected by my unbelief, well, not the only person, but the only person who's in trouble because of my unbelief is me. God said it. That settles it. That's why it's so important that we read the Word of God and that we obey the Word of God and we read it in context. It's so easy to pull a verse out and make it say what we want it to say. Okay? You know the story. The guy gets home, it's, everything's going wrong, and he says, okay, God, I need a message from you, and he opens the Bible, lets it fall open, it says, and Judas went out and hanged himself. Whoa, that can't be the right verse. Let's it fall open again. And it says... Go thou and do likewise. Ooh, that can't be the right verse. Goes a little further, flips it open. Whatsoever thou doest, do quickly. If you're going to pull a verse out of context and you don't want to believe the Bible, then pick Psalm, 40, Psalm 14, verse 1. There is no God. Okay? said, the Bible says there is no God. Yeah, that's exactly what it says. In context, the fool hath said in his heart, there is no God. Okay? And I don't go around calling people fools because God said, don't call a man a fool. But when God calls you a fool, guess what you are? (laughs) I mean, that's pretty simple, pretty plain. We need patience. After that we've done the will of God, we just wait. Because God always keeps His promise. God always keeps His promise. And so the just just live by faith. Just trust God. Something bad happens and we think, whoa, God let that happen. He's got a plan. Let's see what the plan is. And we can live by faith. The just shall live by faith. The Bible says that four times. How many times do you think God needs to say something before we start to believe it? <laughs> One. If he repeats it, it must be important. Says it three times, we better find out why. And four times, whoa. And here's what it is, Jay. Said the first time in the Old Testament, I think it's Habakkuk. Maybe it's Haggai, I don't remember. Okay? And then he says it in Romans. And he talks about who is who the just are. Okay? The just shall live by faith. So who are the just? Those who have been declared justified, righteous, because of their faith in Jesus Christ. Okay? Because I don't have any right to approach the throne of God on my own. But when I come to Him wearing Jesus' robe, take off the old robe, put on the new robe. When I come to Him wearing Jesus' robe, and He looks at me, He sees me sinless. And I can crawl up in His lap and say, Father, I love you. In fact, sometimes I like to call Him 
Abba, which means daddy. Okay? Abba, I love you. And he nearly always said, yeah, you want something? Because I don't need anything. He takes care of my needs. He supplies all my needs according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. So I don't need anything. So I just, he, he said, you want something? I said, well, yeah, this would be nice. He said, hang on, boy. Here it comes. But I need to have a little patience. God always keeps his word. Wow. Did I finish that chapter? One verse left. Come on. There it is. We are not of them who draw back unto perdition. Those who hear the gospel and want to get saved, but just don't take that step. Okay? Getting saved is accomplished by the Holy Spirit in the heart of the individual, but it only comes when the individual responds to the invitation of God. The wooing of the Holy Spirit. When the Holy Spirit comes to you and says, Jesus loves you, He died for you, He wants to save you, will you take Him to be your Lord and Savior? To be your lawfully wedded husband someday? You have to answer. And when people answer, well... Not right now. Uh, maybe later. I, I, I want to live my life first and then I'll do it. Or whatever their answer may be. They draw back under perdition. We're, not, we're not among those. No. We're of them that believe to the saving of the soul. Why does the soul need to be saved? Because the soul is that part of you that is your personality, that is your will, that is your mind. Okay? And you're born with a body and a soul. But no spirit. And God's not going to save this body. Okay? We put Ron's body in a casket and put it in the ground. Now, that's an assumption. I, I wasn't there after the service was over, but I'm assuming they put it in the ground. And uh, they even embalmed it so it lasts a little while. Okay? But it's not going to last forever. And even if it does, God is not going to make him live in that body anymore. Okay? He wouldn't want to. He hated that walker. Okay? He hated not knowing if that leg was going to support him or not. He hated the pain. He hated looking like a, an old crippled guy. God's not going to save his body. God's going to take those molecules and transform that body into a new, incorruptible, glorified body made like into the body of the Lord Jesus. Woohoo! So God doesn't save the body. He gives us the Spirit so that we can live with Him forever in heaven. He quickens us by His Spirit. So He saves our soul. 
It's the soul that's going to be in hell forever. If a person doesn't get saved, it's going to remember every opportunity they ever had to get saved. Every time they heard the gospel, every time the the Holy Spirit oppressed upon them that God created the heavens and the earth, every time that void within them that was created in them calls out for a God they can trust, every time that happens, they're going to remember it in hell forever. And they're going to be judged according to their works. Brother Casey, if they're just a soul, how will they feel the pain of hell? Well, it could be that God will send their bodies to hell too and reunite them. I don't know. I don't find anywhere in Scripture that says that. What I do know is I have a friend did a motorcycle wreck and lost his foot and his leg. Okay? You know which of his feet hurts the worst? The one that's not there. called phantom pain but the truth is his mind his brain remembers all the sensation of that vehicle slamming into his motorcycle and crushing his foot and ankle and it just keeps playing it back and playing it back and playing it back and it hurts some people with missing limbs say that it itches Can you imagine something itching and not being able to scratch it? I mean, yeah. We got rounded door frames in our house from me leaning up against them going like this. (laughs) Who doesn't? (laughs) Anybody ever do that besides me? Yeah, we all do it. Sure. No way to relieve the itch. 